Last weekend, uh, my family, uh, we, we gave our weekend, the whole weekend, uh, to decorating for Christmas. Um, that's right. We, we bowed down before this season and said, I give you my weekend, oh great and wondrous Christmas season. And we just said, here, have it as a, as a, as a sacrifice. And so on Friday, it was spent fully on, on internal uh, decorations, interior decorations. And we got out all the stuff from uh, above our garage, you know, with all the cobwebs on it. Um, and we put, on, we put Bing Crosby on. We, we set up a fake plastic trees. We have wreaths of hanging. Santa's abounding and lights are soaring. And we, we did that all on Friday. And then on Saturday, we, we spent uh, towards exterior decorations. And we braved the masses at, at Home Depot and Lowe's and you know, fought a couple people for some of those last-minute C9 lights that we should have bought you know, a couple months earlier. Um, and so we were buying that. But we said, you know, this year, we want to make this extra special. We want to go a little bit step further and wondered, you know, how best can we celebrate Christmas? You know, how can we make sure that everyone really knows, that our kids know, like, the birth of Christ is so prominent. You might be thinking, maybe they got a nativity scene. Oh, no, no, no. Nothing of the sort. We got an inflatable BB-8 and Chewbacca uh, to, to put right in the front yard. And I thought, you know, what? Nothing says, Merry Christmas, Jesus. We're glad you came to this dark, dark world than two Star Wars characters with a wreath in their hands and antlers on their head. <laughs> That's what we did. What'd you guys do? <laughs> Neighbors down the road have the nativity. The pastor has the Star Wars characters. Um, but that's us. Uh, what about you? What about the Jews in the first century? How did, how, did, how did they celebrate that first Christmas? What were they doing to prepare for it? They getting eggnog and going caroling, watching movies on rerun, you know, they probably watched Elf. They probably did. They probably, they probably watched Christmas Story or, you know, the Christmas Vacation. I mean, that, these, are, these are our traditions. What did they do? And that's what we want to look at today. So uh, please stand for the hearing of God's word. We're going to look at Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth 
and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe see. Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we do ask that you would be the one to, to speak. As we said, this is the word of the Lord. And so, God, we don't want to just hear someone's opinion. Lord, we want to hear from you. We need to hear from you. And so, God, uh, through Isaiah, uh, from this pulpit, may we hear from you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are talking about Advent this morning. And Advent is, is the season that we are, is this, we've been talking about with our liturgy. It, it, it means coming. And so it's a, it's a waiting on the coming of Christ. And so Advent we celebrate is the, the first four Sundays before December 25th. And it's this anticipation. And what we celebrate at Christmas is the first coming of Christ. But then we turn to some of our traditional Christmas passages, like the one we just read today in Isaiah. And we read that, and it doesn't, doesn't sound as commercial and as festive as a lot of our Christmas traditions are. If you read this Isaiah passage, it is all about darkness. I mean, you can feel the darkness as you read it. You ever felt darkness? You ever walked down a street and just felt the darkness there? Or been in a home and you thought, something bad has happened here. There's times when you can feel the darkness. I think at this time of year, we feel it even more so. When the, the sun goes down at 4.30, it, it, we, we don't just notice that it's darker. We actually feel it. Like it's, it's harder to work in this time. It's harder to like have joy. It's harder to, harder to push yourselves. And this is not in my opinion. This is like many studies show this, that the time between after Thanksgiving and before Easter, depression skyrockets. It's just we feel the darkness during, the, during this season. And so we're like walking through a depression minefield, it feels like. And that's, that's the setting for this passage here. And that there is a, they're walking through a land of deep darkness. And it begins this way. It says, there will be no gloom. Meaning for the Jews there, they've been living in gloom and in darkness. The Assyrians have been waging war and are pushing into their territory there's murder, there's enslavement, there's exile. And this is the picture for all the Old Testament Jews. I mean, this is the picture of God's people in the Old Testament. This is just how it is. I mean, centuries, centuries of foreign governments being raised up and taking them off. As soon as the Jews thought, now we're delivered, now we're safe, a new government is, is coming forth and now taking them off, putting a fish hook in their mouth and leading them off into slavery. And so God's people are hurt, they're broken, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, that phrase deep darkness in the Hebrew literally means those who lived in the death shadow. Those who've lived in the death shadow, that, that you feel the death that's there. You feel the tragedy. You feel things like rape. There's prejudice based on skin color, based on gender, based on nationality. There's corrupt kings taking backdoor deals. Those in power are abusing it. So I asked the question, how did the Old Testament Jews prepare for the first coming? Remember, Jesus is coming here to bring light to a very dark place. 
And so we're seeing the setting of a very dark setting here. Superpowers are rising all around Israel, trying to take them out, squashing them so frequently. And so you ask, how are the Jews to worship? When their families are being broken apart. When they're watching their families being beaten. They don't celebrate it with eggnog. How do they celebrate it? And here's what I want us to see this day. The Jews of the first century were not looking forward to celebrating a nativity. They weren't looking forward to seeing a baby being born. That's not what they're looking for. None of this is talking about that we hear a child is going to be born, but you hear what else he's going to be doing. So they're not looking forward to a little eight-pound baby Jesus. Their preparation and advent took hundreds of years. And what we see here is them begging, Come, thou long-expected Jesus. We got to feel the angst and the pain in that bellow. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Ransom captive Israel. If we skip over Advent, we miss the punch of Christmas. This is a groan that we are seeing in here. Verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And I think when we hear that verse, we just think of a Christmas carol, something nice. But for them who've been oppressed for so long, and we may not be able to, to, to feel it without feeling the oppression, when they heard the government will be on his shoulder, they hear something very different. Have you seen this picture of a, a paramilitary officer carrying this limp, dead two-year-old off the beach of Turkey who swam from his government from Syria? Have you seen this picture? He, his government was so oppressive that they're trying to kill their people that he and his brother said the only way out of here is to swim for freedom. And there's a two-year-old just sitting lying on the beach it's crushing. Come, that long-expected Jesus. We don't want that. That's what the people of Israel are feeling here. What do you do when your government is out against you? What do you do if when you call the police, the police beat you as well? What do you do if you're robbed in that world? Who do you call then? Who do you call if you've been raped? Who's there to stand up against it? The brothers and sisters of our brothers and sisters in Israel are living in that environment. And so we read, and the government will be on his shoulders, and we don't even think about it. But for them, they hear, hush, hush. It's going to be okay. I'm going to put the government on my shoulders. And I will bring peace that will have no end. And I will be the prince of peace. And the government, there will be no end because I will take care of it. And to a people who've only ever seen war and slavery, I mean, they now tremble at the hope that is in this passage. And I think we need to see this as that way of seeing we, we can tremble when he says, the government will be upon his shoulders. He'll take away all that pain. 
And so it's not in a nostalgic tradition, but it's in a warrior king that comes to make an end of all the pain, to bring justice to the dead family. But then Jesus comes, and he comes as a baby, and he's ridiculed, he's betrayed with a kiss, he's strung up on a cross, he has nails coursing through his veins, and you got to think how broken how they must have been, like how shattered had their hopes and dreams must have felt when they saw that Jesus was killed himself, and they thought this was the man to change it all. And so still praying, come thou long-expected Jesus. And so for us, as we prepare for the second advent, the second coming, Christmas just can't be about remembering his first coming. He's not in a manger anymore. He's not. He's not even on a cross anymore. He's in heaven reigning. He's that king that's going to come again. And when he comes again, he's coming not just to bring peace, to, but to make it. And that means he's bringing war with him against all the injustices that are here. And so Christ, when he comes again, he's coming to judge the world. And that's a chilling version of Jesus that we don't like to talk about. A guy named Matt Chandler says, this is, the why we don't, this is why we like cuddly baby Jesus. He's not imposing but the one who has flames shooting out of his eye and a sword in his mouth, we don't even like to think about that Jesus because he's not sweet. He's not as nice. We like nice Jesus. We don't like ferocious Jesus. And the reality is that we, we can't separate the two. We can't separate his love from his wrath because he loves his people so, so, so much that he will step in to protect them and to fight for them. And so anyone here who, who is a parent knows this to be true. If, if, if someone does something horrendous to my son, I don't care the repercussions. I'm coming for you, <laughs> right? Because you love that person so much, you will fight for them. That's the God King who's coming to fight for his people. That's what happens in verse 4. It says he's going to break the rod of the oppressor, right in our Christmas passage. He's coming. And what we want to say is celebrate the first coming, but also be looking for the second coming. In Revelation 19, Jesus is coming, not wrapped in swaddling clothes, but in a robe dipped in blood. Now here's the best Christmas passage you could read. Revelation 19. Let me read that for you. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him with white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. How would you decorate for that? Advent. 
get an inflatable white horse. Probably have to get a tattoo on your leg as well. This is what Christmas needs to be. That we're not just looking for an event that happened 2,000 years ago. We're longing for all the pain and the hurts to actually end. We're longing for him to come again and say, look for a day when there will be no more temptation. There will be no more crying and no more tears and no more hurts. That's how we redeem Christmas. And I think usually if I can get my kiddos to say that, that Christmas is not about presents, but it's about baby Jesus, I'm doing good. But I think we need to take it one step further and say we celebrate his first coming. That's because we're also celebrating that he came and he's going to come again. Yes, not about presents, but it's not just about he came as a baby. He's not that anymore. A guy named Duke Kwan said, Advent means violence, oppression, injustice, and death itself has an expiration date. Advent means violence, oppression, injustice, and death itself has an expiration date. It's a beautiful thing. Advent means a day is coming when the eschatological, the, the future dream, will finally swallow the nightmare. And therefore, Advent means I can labor energetically for, for justice of all kinds, racial, economic, gender, criminal, with the assurance that my labor is never in vain. Sounds like a very different Christmas than we normally celebrate, I think. I think that's what God wants to push us towards. And then in verse 6, we get these, we're struck with these beautiful names of God. And I can't do justice to all of them, but I'll just touch on that first. Where it says, Wonderful Counselor. For a first century Jew, they see God as the second name, Mighty God, the Almighty, whom they, they can't have communication with. The high priest goes in once a year to make a sacrifice. And so to be thinking of Talking to God as a counselor. A counselor is what? Someone who knows you best, who asks you a ton of questions and tries to get to know you. To be thinking of the Almighty, actually wanting to know you is wild for them. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I mean, they, they didn't even want to pronounce his name Yahweh. They didn't even want to spell it because he was that distant. But when Jesus comes, he puts on our clothes. He moves into our neighborhood. He fishes with us. And he says, I'm not just going to tell you about God, about who it is to come. I'm actually God and I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And so let me ask you this, how, do we, how should we celebrate Christmas or Advent this season? And I'll give you three ideas, and you take it as you may. First, look at the darkness of this world. I know that's a very tough thing to say. Celebrate Christmas by looking at the darkness. But this is what, remember, this is what is going on in, the, in this time here. Look at the darkness, list it, write it down, that we can pray against it. I know it's easier to look away, to kind of pacify ourselves, escape it with, with entertainment and things like that, but really look at it. And as Ann Voskamp has said, pierce the darkness with light. 
Lights poking holes through the dark story everywhere. And there are light pokers everywhere we turn. There are women telling the truth. There are men standing for justice. Families are welcoming in the orphan, the stranger, the refugee, and whole communities are doing hard and holy things, exploding into supernovas right in the darkest part of the night. And so don't gloss over the darkness this Christmas. Look at it. Pray against it. And let the light pierce it. Second, Advent reminds us to listen for the message of, that God is speaking even when it doesn't feel like he is. Our, uh, a poet, R.S. Thomas, puts it that there, there is meaning in the waiting. And so Advent forces us to slow down. There is meaning in the waiting. And I don't know who here loves to wait. That's the worst. <laughs> I hate waiting. Patience is the worst thing to learn, it seems. It, it, it is so hard. Um, I, I don't even like shopping in person anymore. And so I only go on Amazon Prime, it seems. But even Amazon Prime I get frustrated with if it doesn't come in two days. Like, it, my package didn't come fast enough. Like, traffic lights don't turn fast enough. People don't get to their points fast enough. <laughs> My kid won't walk fast enough. The grocery line I chose is not the right line. I should have chose that one. Like these things, I just get so frustrated. I'm like, people, hurry up. And Advent tells us, slow down. <laughs> There's something in the waiting. If you remember in the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament ends with Malachi 4. And in Malachi 4, God says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. And so God's promising, I'm going to end the arrogant, I'm going to end the suffering, and I will end them in such a way that you won't even be able to recognize them. I'm going to take out even their root. And that's on Malachi 4. And for us, to get to Matthew 1, is a simple one-second page turn. But between Malachi 4 and Matthew 1 is 400 years of nothing. 400 years of silence. 400 years of just waiting. And I can't wait another day for my Amazon Prime package I mean, think of the patience and the yearning that they had to have been going through and saying, come thou long expected Jesus. They're not waiting four weeks as we celebrate at Advent. They're waiting 400 years with new superpowers taking over. Come thou long expected Jesus. Make an end to this oppression. And so you wonder, God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Why haven't you come back? You ever wonder that? You can ask that now. God, why haven't you come back? It's been 2,000 plus years since you first came. Why haven't you come back? If you look at the news and turn it on, you wonder, why does he not just wipe out humanity right now? Why didn't he just end it right now and wipe us off the planet? And 2 Peter tells us why. It tells us that he's still redeeming and ransoming captive Israel. 
that God still has people that he is going after that don't know him yet. And so that if that's you today, that may be the reason he has not yet come back, that he is still going after them, going after you. And so he could have come sooner, but there is meaning in the waiting. And so I say, repent of your hurry this Advent, that you might live and love at the pace of grace. And this is tough for me. This is, I, I'm, a, I'm a list person. Uh, I like to write lots of lists on my sticky notes or in my phone notes, whatever. I love to write down all the things I want to do. And the, the most satisfying thing in the world is once you get that list, you get to scratch it off. I did it. Things are getting done today, right? And then as soon as someone interrupts your list, <clears throat> it frustrates me to no end. There's a PCA pastor named Scotty Smith, and he prays this. Lord, may my to-love list supersede my to-do list. And I'm crushed. I didn't even make a to-love list. (laughs) May my to-love list supersede my to-do list. And so repent with me and let Advent force you to slow down. And when we slow down, it recalibrates what's important. And so when my four-year-old is taking forever to walk, I'm no longer angry with him at looking at a leaf on the ground and going, oh, maybe my heart's been calloused to the beauty and the wonder and the awe of that leaf that God had created, that he is now seeing afresh. And so Advent forces us to slow down. Lastly, let Christmas not just house joy, but be a pointer to it. I already said we decorated a house with Star Wars and Santas, and there's nothing wrong with that sentiment or the emotions of Christmas, maybe. Um, but God made us this way and that we, 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 we enjoy these things. But don't let the romance and the nostalgia of Christmas become the substance of Christmas. So that when we, when, as John Piper says, is that when, when, the, when the, we, we look to these Christmas celebrations uh, as, as being the, the end of our pursuit of hope, those things become joy mirages. We think that's where hope is and that's where joy is found. And I'll come after it and I'll grab it and I can't reach it because it's a mirage. Mirage is something that our, our, our brain is saying is there and it's playing a trick on us and it's not there, right? We, we, we think it's there. We think it's housing and, and uh, holding joy and it's just a, a grasping after nothing. And so when we look for joy in our traditions or when we look for joy in our presence, when we look for joy in the, the hope or the opportunity that a new year might bring, our joy crashes. Because we're looking for joy in these things that don't actually house joy, but are pointers to joy. Christmas becomes painful, and that is true for many people. It's because our Christmas traditions don't so much house joy as, as point to it. And so that the lights that we have all around, the lights that we have here and on your Christmas trees or wherever, don't actually house joy, but point to it. That a a real light came into a very dark world to bring light to it. That people who have walked in the death shadow have seen a great light. And so let the star on your Christmas tree actually point you to the true light that's not going to house hope, but be a pointer to it. Let it point you to the 
joy that's right in this Isaiah passage, that thrills of hope are actually piercing the pain and darkness of the world. For to us, a child is born, to us a son is given. The darkness will not win in the end. Because we have a God who defies logic, who defies natural laws, and steps into the world. For to us a son is born, that God would actually take on flesh and become a baby that he would actually have a belly button, that Yahweh would identify with us in that way is radical. And if that's true, we have control on nothing. He is completely in control of everything. He upends all of our control in life and says, I upend, I upend it and I'm supernaturally invading this world. And then he doesn't come in the world and say, now the Almighty is here, work for me. He says, I will work for you. For to us a child is born, but a son is given, given for you, so that you don't have to work for his approval, and you can't out-sin him. A son is given for you, the darkness will not win. And so before he comes again with justice on that white horse, take hold of his grace today. Let's pray.